Podcast taking you behind the badge. Unbelievable stories exposing the day in the life of a first responder. You'll laugh a lot, cry a little, and in the end, just have some fun. 911 is made possible by Eric Buchanan and Associates, fighting for those that have been denied disability, life, long term care, and health benefits nationwide. Now, here's your host, Damarlin Dean. Welcome to 911. So just think of Deaf Comedy Jam meets Cops. You know, we're going to have a little fun today. <laughs> and I uh, just want to thank you guys for joining us. And today I have a special treat for you. We have SWAT Doc 87 on the line with us. And uh, we are so excited to have him. And this guy, you should, if you don't, if you're not following him already on Instagram, uh, on TikTok, SWAT Doc 87, make sure you follow this guy. But he's a, he's a lot of fun. He's a blast. And uh, we're going to have a blast today. So, hey, I'll let you just introduce yourself. Just kind of tell us, you know, a little bit of your background and, uh, you know, where you've been and where you are now as far as uh, what you're doing. All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I joined the Army when I was 18, spent six years in the infantry. Um, I got out for two years and then decided I missed it. Got back in the reserves as a medic. Uh, and in between the time that I got out, I didn't really know what to do. I went back to the farm where I where I grew up and was working at and a guy was a, a environmental officer was t- walking around to the neighbor's properties looking for a owner of a horse uh-huh. the neighbor said that it was my horse at a gray dapple and i said no that's my horse back there and he said okay well he started talking to me on the side of the road and he said you need to go put in an application so i'd never even thought about it i said well, i guess i could be a cop why not wow so uh, i went down there and the rest is history. So you've been an officer for uh, how long now? Almost seven years. Seven years. All right. So let's go back to um, the, the the military. You said Army? Mm-hmm. I was All Army. Right. Sure. Now, were you a medic in the Army? I'm a medic now in the Army Reserves. Okay. All right. So that's where you became uh, a medic, was in the Reserves. Mm-hmm. So, but when I was active duty, I was uh, an infantryman. Okay. And then I think I understand you are on a SWAT team now. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, as part of the SWAT team, are you, um, do you do medical duties there? Or are you just more, you know, you go in and get the bad guy and come home? So we go in and get the bad, everyone's an operator first. Okay. You're not allowed, you don't get a specialty until you've been an operator for a little while. The first thing they're going to put you is a driver. So you're going to drive whatever the the vehicle is we're going to do the hit with, whether that be an armored personnel carrier or um, you know, cool cars or vans or whatever we're going to use. So you're a driver first, then you can start making entries and then you can get a specialty. So I've done a bunch of different things. Um, uh, on an entry team, I've been a breacher, um, deploying flashbang grenades was a primary for a little while. And then, um, we've done, I was on the sniper team for almost two years. Wow. And I left the sniper team because I felt the need to have medical interventions right there on site instead of calling for EMS, which are not going to respond to a hot zone. So they're going to stage, which doesn't really do us any good unless we can break away enough people to take them to EMS. I didn't like the way it was set up. 
So I decided that I would rejoin the army again in the reserves uh, as a medic and get that training and then just keep going to medical schools, law enforcement and civilian medical schools throughout um, whenever, whenever I got the chance. Very cool. So here's a, a neat little tidbit for you. Um, Chattanooga, their police department was one of the first police departments to actually deploy tactical medics with the SWAT team. So, uh, really? yeah. So you can kind of thank Chattanooga PD for you having, you know, your <laughs> that's fair. So fair. yeah, I actually made a call today because I'd heard that. And I, I was talking to one of the former chiefs and he's like, yep, absolutely. We're on the leading, leading edge with that. Um, you know, we, the first one of the first ones, if not the first one that actually had medics that trained with them, they went in and trained uh-huh. and did everything with the SWAT team. Um, now they usually wouldn't, uh, go in because they weren't still a part of it. But, uh, you know, when they were doing drills like, um, school shootings and things like that, they would, you know, SWAT team would go in and clear and they would be right behind them taking care of, you know, the, the wounded as the SWAT team continued to go in and clear the building. But, but yeah, Chattanooga, Tennessee, one of the first, if not the first to to really have the tactical medics go in, uh, uh, with the SWAT team. So pretty cool. We had our, the city guys, I worked for a County SWAT team. So Mm -hmm. we, we encompass all the surrounding counties and, and it, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a regional SWAT team. Um, but the city guys, they have firefighter, tactical firefighter medics that will go EMS and firefighters that have volunteered to be on their team. So they will respond to a SWAT call out and they'll stage. They don't carry, they're not peace officers. Sure. Uh, sure. Unless they happen to be a fire marshal, but in, ordinarily they're not peace officers and they'll stage and they've done that. And then we did that back in the day. I just didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that if for whatever reason we get pinned in a room or we can't move, there's nothing. Yeah. No one's going to come in and get you. Right. I'm in the stack somewhere. I can break off and hand my responsibility, whatever I'm doing off to somebody else. And I carry a small trauma bag on my person, uh, the M the army M nine trauma bag. And then I like, like I know what that is. Yeah. It's the same bag. Any, <laughs> Any of the guy, it was designed by the SF uh, community, and then they disseminated it out to the rest of the army. And then uh, I have a large trauma bag and a bunch more um, long-term care um, in the in the vehicle, so someone can run out and get that. But if nothing else, we have plenty of stuff to keep someone alive in on the inside if we can't come out for whatever reason. Sure. So, like in your regular patrol, if if the situation occurred, would you be required or would you go into action as a medic or would that kind of be like no don't do that yep absolutely um i just to just today um got employee of the month for saving somebody's do try to hang himself um and then we he was he had agonal breathing and and a bunch of other problems with him so under my direction i had a team work on him for a little while and then i put in some advanced airway and ran advanced airway in him and waited for the medics to show up so wow which was crazy he was hanging for a while before we even got the call that's amazing that you're able to save someone like that three weeks later he walked into the sheriff's office and wanted his phone back (laughs) couldn't believe it it was like seeing a ghost that's wow i uh we'll talk about some of the crazy things that you've seen um because people just really don't I don't think they really understand, you know, part of part of being a police officer. I mean, you have to kind of separate yourself from you see the worst of everybody every day and you can certainly get jaded. 
But uh, one of the things I like about you and one of the reasons I reached out to you is because you have fun. Um, and as a police officer, you really you, you, you really have to. Uh, there, there is it's a coping mechanism. You have to laugh. You have to kind of just I don't want to say be cold, but you certainly have to have a certain distance between all the things that you see on a day to day basis. Um, so were you a nut before you became a police officer and went into the military or did that kind of grow out of uh, the job? No, I, I've always been a nut. I, I enjoy cutting up, having fun. Um, always had a, you know, I had a blast with my friends and my army buddies will tell you that we just had fun the whole yeah. time. And you, I mean, pre-deployment when we, you came back, I mean, a lot of people were, were just jaded and didn't care and didn't care about anything, but we, we knew, and probably it was a bunch of, you know, 19, 20 year olds just drinking a lot and hanging out together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. And I tried to make it fun. Yeah, you have to. Well, thank you for your service, by the way. Um, you know, that's that's we, we need more of that as well. So thank you so much for that. So let's jump right into it. So um, I, I know I kind of you, you kind of gave me a little idea of some of the things you, you, you've you seen. So let's just start with some of the funny stuff. I mean, if we talk <laughs> about some of the funniest things that you've seen and come across, you know, what are the first things that pop into your mind? Just kind of tell us about that. So. <laughs> So uh, there's a rodeo arena where there's a college rodeo team and a bunch of uh, amateur rodeos that go on. And a guy, I, I don't, the specifics of why he was there, I don't remember, uh, but he walked in there with a gun and started waving it around at a bunch of cowboys. So you've got Western riders and English riders that are very different. And there's, there's a whole two different communities, but generally English riders are females. <laughs> And the Western riders are there and they're, they're roping and they're doing, they're practicing for rodeos. And he comes in waving a gun and for what, somehow or another, um, he calls, he says some choice words to one of the female English riders <laughs> and uh, call her to some derogatory things. And those cowboys got him. They healed him, which is when you rope a cow by the heels, there's headers and healers. They healed him. So they wrapped the rope around his legs and jerked him off his feet, drug him around the uh the little barnyard there and they held him until we got there on horse no way so yeah. cowboys really can't do that stuff they show in the movies you Woo! know <laughs> they can they whooped him they whooped him pretty good so wow there he is disheveled he all his clothes are torn his face is muddy and i i wasn't sure who the victim and who the suspect was at that point in time but they said <laughs> oh, that's him so as i'm getting i've taken a thousand reports in my in my life but I've never taken one from someone on horseback. So I'm up there and I've got his driver's license and I'm talking to him and he gets through the whole story and he doesn't mention the gun. I asked him, I said, well, didn't he have a gun? And he says, Oh yeah. But he complete. he was so upset that he, that someone would walk in and say some derogatory terms toward a female, mm-hmm. but upset them. They weren't worried about a gun. They all had guns. They're not worried about that, but you're not Texas. You're not going to walk in and, and be rude to a female. I'll tell you that right now. Chivalry is not dead, huh? Chivalry is not dead. And I had to ask, I had to prompt him after the story. I said, didn't he have a gun? He said, oh, yeah, he had a gun. But he's not going to talk like that in front of, you know, whoever it was. So that chivalry is not dead. That, that, was the thing. that guy was hoping that we would get there faster. That is great. Yeah, that 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 is fun when you have a uh, a suspect or, quote, the bad guy, and they're, they're the ones wishing for the police to hurry up and get there to get them out of the situation. <laughs> So I'm sure you've got a few of those. So, you know, with you being in the county, 
I was a city officer. So I always felt like, you know, at any given moment, I could have two, three, 10, 20 officers on a call. I feel like when you're with the, with the, with the county or even worse yet, the state, a lot of times it's just you. And it might be 10, 15, 20 minutes before you get some backup. Any um, heroin times when you were like, hurry up and get here? There's nothing sweeter than the sounds of sirens. Yes. Uh, that's for sure. I remember um, I, was on, I was on a special operations team. SWAT is special operations, but there's full-time special operations guys. And I was a full-time member for three years. Mm-hmm. So we were primarily in the city and high crime areas and, and things like that. And like you said, we could, call, we could put out a call and the city, the college PD, the county, everyone would just get to us really quick. Yeah. But I saw the need for more, uh, more training and more experience on patrol. So I went back to patrol. But when you're out there, our, our county's well over a thousand square miles. So you you could be way up north, and everyone some are at the office, some are down south, and you better be able to handle your business. Wow, that's for sure. I had one night. Um, I had a dude. He was driving what I found out later to be a stolen car towing another stolen car so i pulled him over i didn't know the car was stolen because wait, wait wait hold on he had a <laughs> stolen car and he was towing another stolen car another stolen car and this guy did it right and it's like al capone got uh got caught with tax evasion well this guy got uh got caught just because he didn't have a light he didn't have the two mounted lights when you're towing a vehicle you have to have two mounted lights he didn't have them yeah well he had a felony warrant for his arrest so I go up to him and say, hey, man, hop out the vehicle. Let me show you. Let me let me show you what you need to have on your vehicle to tow it. Right. I'm not going to tell him he has a felony. He might take off. So he gets out of the car. I told him to put his hands behind his back. He took off running. Mm-hmm. I'm alone. There's another guy, another felon in the car that he's being towed. I don't know what he's going to do to me. And we we take off running. I try to tase him on the run. It doesn't work. He goes down into a drainage ditch and he comes out and he comes out swinging at me. So we, we have a little uh, fisticuffs there in the, in the drainage ditch, and I came out on top, but wow, you, you have nobody. And there was no one there. By the time I got him, I fought him. I won. I put him in handcuffs and then walked him back all the way back to the patrol car where we had started the foot chase from mm-hmm. and was still no one was there. So now where'd the other guy go? He, he, he laid down on the ground. He got out of the car. He laid down on the ground. He didn't want any problems at all. Okay. He'd already been to prison. He already knew. So did you, when you tried to tase him, did they connect or did you miss? They connect. So he's wearing a, a, a zip hoodie. Yeah. So the, and it's unzipped. So as he's running, it's flying back behind him. Ah. So he said he felt, and he screamed whenever I, I heard him scream whenever I popped him with the taser, but it's, it didn't connect enough. Yeah. Well, that's a, we're going to talk a little bit about misconceptions. And that's one of them. You, you tase them, just just tase them. And if you tase them, everything's good. And um, people don't understand a lot of times when they uh, TV is really hurt. <laughs> you know, people see these things on television. They're like, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you shoot the gun out of his hand? I've got a story about that one. Um, wow. And all of these things, it's just it's just amazing. I feel what people do believe sometimes is possible or what's supposed to happen. So you can tell someone and it can connect, I mean, and do everything it's supposed to do and still not, uh, you know, incapacitate the person. And then the other thing is, I, I think there's this, this idea that police are supposed to get their butt whipped. 
So, you know, if you go and you fight and you win, then a lot of times that's when you see a lot of the the people complaining and things like that. I'm like, what are you supposed to do? Is it your job to get beat up? No, it's not. It's your job to win. So, um, so a couple of couple of misconceptions there. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that 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 tasing aspect of it. Um, I tried to tase a big old corn fed boy one night, and he looks down and he sees. And I got a good spread. I got a good spread. One in the thigh and one in his chest. He gripped out the one in his chest and laughed at me. Oh. Yeah. I had that happen with Mace once. I've never, fortunately for me, I got out before the tasing started. So I never had to experience it myself, mm. um, but I did have the Mace. And so I had to go went through the Academy. We had to get maced and all that, but I had a, a big old boy. He was, he probably was from Texas. It looked like a big old biker dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, the story behind it is crazy. That was one night that I thought I was going to die, but we found, I finally get him to the car. And I'm trying to get him in and he's just standing there just looking at me. He won't get in. And I'm like, well, I can't just take out my PR. I can't just take out my stick and just well on him. And I'm trying everything. I'm shaking up the uh, mace, trying to intimidate him. Like, come on, buddy. And he doesn't move. And so I just, I just, I felt like I emptied the bottle in his face. And he turned away from me, blinked his eyes a couple of times, and then just looked back at me. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? And then he decided he'd go ahead and get in. And he got in the car. And as we pulled off, he was like, I'm sorry, Officer Dean, my bar- bark's worse than my bite. So I don't know if he thought I was going to go take him behind the building somewhere at this point, but uh, it was, I'm just glad he decided because I don't know where it was going to go. Um, it was, it was not looking good there for a minute. So what about, uh, I think you had mentioned something. I want to hear about this, uh, this adult bookstore uh, um, robbery <laughs> attempt. Or, or so this was during my time, the full-time special operations. Um, there was, there was a uh, adult bookstore robbery and uh, surveillance video showed that the clerk had been, they, they left. We didn't have a good shot of them. When they turned around to come back, that's when we got a good face shot of the crook and he okay. came back in for a DVD or something. So the clerk tries. <laughs> he wait, has, he's robbed the place. He's left. And, wait a minute. I forgot to get something. <laughs> I forgot. I got to get back in there. So, and I mean, it's, it's a very distinct, uh, uh, sex toy there that he, he had in his hands and he hit the clerk with it, which makes it robbery in Texas. I mean, if you, there's use anything to execute a a theft, it becomes. Well, it's, it's, if there's, if it's, there's harm. So if I, you know, if there's threat of violence or bodily harm or or bodily injury to a clerk, if I push past you to get out of a, a store, it became like a beer run. Now it became a robbery type deal yeah so that's what that's what upped it from from you know a theft so we go out there well we we get a ci that says and this and that and the whole investigation anyway we we get to the guy's house and it's not just this sex toy that he's i mean it's a lot of stuff that he stole so our first clue is the very distinct sex toy is in between the couch cushions of this house you can say what it is i think this you could say that 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 wouldn't make this rated or anything that's a dildo, man. That is a that's a good sized dildo. So he smacked the clerk with a big dildo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he we get out, and all the uh, batteries in the remote control for the TV are out. So the remote <laughs> out there, the co- the little slip covers out, and it's laying on the ottoman, and there are no batteries in there. Okay, all right. And then the same DVD that he came back in to get. Is on is in the bedroom on the the TV stand open and the DVD is not in it. It's in the the disc player. 
And he's still going to sit there and tell me that it wasn't him. I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. It was my. Yeah. That's, that's funny. That's so red handed. Made his robbery. Was this the same night or was it nights later? That we found out? No, it was. He found them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he yeah. went home, went right to work. Got got down to business. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That's funny. What anything else tops your mind is like. So when I was in the academy, one of the things that, that we were taught was if the crooks were smart, you'd never catch them. You'd be out of a job. You'd be out of a job. So tell me maybe, you know, we can talk about some more of the funniest things or just the, that would probably qualify as one of the dumbest coming back in. No. What, what, okay. What some of, tell me some of the dumbest crooks you've ever encountered. Less, um, last, what is this, just the other day, um, guy pulls a guy over, uh, he rolled a stop sign, pull him over, and he had um, some dope in his pocket, and that's meth in his pocket. And it was wrapped in some money. And he said, the money's mine. I said, okay. He says, the dope's not mine. Okay. And then I said, he goes, well, these pants aren't even mine. <laughs> okay. The pants that he's wearing aren't his. The pants he's wearing aren't his. And But then the wallet that has your ID in it is in the pocket. He said, so, yeah, that's, that's mine. That's mine. I said, Okay, so you're being pretty selective on what's yours and what's not yours. He's like, I have no idea what's in these pants. I said, the money that it's wrapped in is yours. You just told me that. That happened. Every time I find some dope in a wallet, I open the wallet. There's the dope. There's a driver's license, debit cards, credit cards, social security card. And they'll say, it's not mine. I don't know what to tell you. Crooks are enterprising. They'll break into people's houses just to hide their dope. That's what's happening. That's that's what's yep. going on in yeah. Texas. That's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> wow. Wow. Any, anything else jump out at you? It's like, wow, if this guy had just done <sighs> X, we'd never caught him. Or I think they they just put themselves out there. They talk. They have to talk. They have to tell somebody. Yeah. And there ain't no code in the streets. That's not a real thing. I mean, they, people talk and everybody knows and they think it's just going to be their little secret. It's it's wild. It's yeah. wild the things that they'll say, just just for the notoriety of yeah I did this yeah I did this. Okay, well you don't think we're gonna use all that? Yeah. Come on now. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. So I was talking about um, the guy that I maced and how that was probably and this was on Christmas Day too. That's what made it so bad. I was officer friendly. I had on the nice Santa Claus hat and everything. Nobody was going to jail on Christmas. <laughs> and this happens, you know, with this, this call that I had. So what? Tell me about maybe um, scariest. I mean, just like some of the scariest calls if you've had them where you just felt like you know, I might not make it home tonight. I remember. Um... Uh, hostage rescue it was on uh it was on a holiday weekend easter weekend something it anyway um well it was a hostage situation and the hostage was a baby mm. like less than a year old um so you got baby daddy that beats baby mama and baby mama runs out and he's got a gun and he's not gonna let she's not coming back in for the baby she goes to calls 911 at the neighbor's house and boom, bada bing, SWAT gets called. So that was, that was why there was one of several. <laughs> this turns into a dumb criminal story. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's, we're, we're in uh, at 10 right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I mean, you, you're 
hostages and victims are always going to be the highest priority, but everybody, and it's unconscious, I guess, but when it's a child, everyone that has kids, I mean, that's that we snap on, you know, because it's a kid, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and not, not that an adult hostage is not as valuable for sure. I mean, they're all, they're all the same, but something about a child, I think, you know, especially the guys that have kids, I have kids. So, um, the crazy thing was we went in and without getting too tactic specific, we get in, we get the baby out. Well, we can't find the suspect. The guy that is confirmed inside with a gun mm-hmm. can't find him. So I pro- we tore the place apart. 20 cops were in that place. Right. So I come in, this is before I, I wasn't even, I wasn't a team leader at this point in time. So I would, I would have been maybe two to three years on the team, maybe. And I walk in and I am just walking through the utility room and I see the dryer and I see a little finger holding from the inside, the dryer closed, you know? <laughs> so 20 cops have been in this house. I was like, stop, stop, sh- sh- stop. And I'm, <laughs> I look. And I couldn't help myself. I gave it the old heave ho and kicked that door closed with the finger still on. Bam! Ouch! It closed. <laughs> and then he starts hollering. Starts hollering and screaming. The door swings back open, and I'm trying to get him out. Well, he, you know, in a dryer, there's the hole in the dryer. Well, then there's the space up top. His head is up there banging on the inside of the dryer. <laughs> I'm trying to rip him out of this dryer, and his head is just banging up against the thing. So I finally go in. I pop him in the face and then I sling him out into the laundry room. And then he goes into the laundry room wall and breaks the wall and the whole thing. He's fighting. We're fighting. And there's, I mean, of course there's 50 people there immediately. There's no, I mean, it, it was, it was wild. It was wild. Yeah. I can imagine it. I think it has to do with the innocence of a child. I mean, not that anybody deserves to be a hostage, like you said, an adult or whatever, but you know, when you have a child that, that really doesn't even know what's going on, especially a baby, what, a baby yeah Absolutely. several months old yeah yeah that that's 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 tough that's tough i uh I, I learned early on that one thing i could not do would be a child abuse detective i just i i couldn't do it can't do it those folks have a special place in my heart i don't know how they could do it because what i saw in the you know the 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 three three to four full-time years that i was on was a was enough and i couldn't imagine having to see the atrocities that people commit upon children um it, it would just it would just break my heart break my heart there's fbi agents that we have our own detectives that that's what they do so child pornography mm-hmm. child abuse neglect but specifically i think for me like specifically the child pornography i couldn't i don't i don't i don't intellectually understand how you go to work every day and you have to because they're looking for for background images and face recognition and all. I just I can't that, that they're better men than me, better men and women than me. I, I can't. I, I couldn't do it either. I could not do it either. Um, so so we have the, the dumb criminals. We yeah. have the funny, the funny criminals, which probably fall into the dumb criminals. Um one of the things I'd, I'd sent out and, and asked was about heart wrenching. And I, and I don't mean like what we just talked about kind of heart wrenching. Uh, that's a different, that just breaks your heart when you have children that are uh, abused and that type of thing. But you also see 
um, circumstances a lot of times where it's not really somebody's necessarily being abused, but it's just situations that just, you know, just kind of break your heart. And sometimes you just wish that you could do something. Sometimes, you know, maybe you can do something, but, you know, any of those types of things come to mind for you. I remember um, I talked a kid off a ledge one time. This was before I went to negotiator school just to have the certification. And I thought it would be handy. To, I was never on the negotiating team, uh, which is a, a part of our SWAT team is our negotiations. They're not SWAT operators, but they talk, they talk down um, barricaded subjects and things like that. But I felt like the training was useful. So I went to that school and got the certification. But this is before even that. There was a kid, less than 10, um, bad home, bad home life, bad, no one cared where he was. He didn't go to school, that kind of thing. And he decided that he was going to kill himself. So he crawls up on a ledge. And the, at the height he was at, the only thing he was going to do is break both his legs probably, or his neck, you know, it, but it's not, it wasn't like a building or anything crazy. Yeah. I crawl up there with him and I talk him down from the sledge and I said, well, let me take you home. And he told me where he lived and I, I'd never seen anything like that. Dogs and rats and cockroaches running in and out. There's feces everywhere there's there's mattresses leaned up against the wall where they would just fold the mattresses down and at night and they would sleep wherever you could you know get in where you fit in and then you pick up this mattress and then there's feces and urine everywhere Um, there's no heat there's no ac there's no there's barely any food there's no electricity i mean it, it, it was wild and that kind of thing we can do something about um I would, you know, you'll drive by and see kids that are, are taking a bath in a, in a, a drum in the, uh, like a 55 gallon drum. Wow. A yard with a water hose. Yeah. And that's just how, that's how they do it. That's, you know, that's just normal to them. It's normal. They, they wouldn't know a difference, man. And that's just, I mean, it, it usually comes back to kids. I, I have the, maybe it's jaded, but adults are adults. If you don't right. like it, go do something about it. You're grown. You take some personal responsibility for yourself. Um, I and a lot of a lot of people disagree with me when I say drug addiction is not a disease; it's self-inflicted. Uh, it's hard to quit for sure. I mean, it's it's almost impossible, but you can do it. Sure. Uh, but you chose that. Well, the child didn't choose that. Right. And and that's what makes it so sad. I think uh, any wrecks, you know, I'll never forget you know, bloody car seats. That's like a snapshot that, that sticks in your mind. You know, it's, it's wild. The the child didn't, I ran on a girl. She was, she kept saying she was 10, but she, you know, three, probably. She just wanted to be grown. I got, she was three. Her mom decided that she didn't need a car seat that day. Oh, and her mom also decided because she had received a citation. Oh, a year or so prior for not having her headlights on. So in Texas, you have to have your headlights on 30 minutes after sunset. Exactly. So 30 minutes, wherever the national weather service says the sunset was 30 minutes after that, you must have your, your headlights on, but you and me, we know when it starts getting dusk, I'm going to turn my headlights on. Sure. Yeah, it is. Well, she decided that she didn't have to do that. And even though it was dusk and cloudy, she said, Nope, it's not 30 minutes. So she was driving without her headlights on. And someone T-boned her because they couldn't see her because the weather conditions. So she thought, you know, 
screw the man. I'm going to do what I want to do because that's the letter of the law. Well, her broke her leg in several places and she was in the back of the car. So I had to crawl in the car with her and I've, I've cut clothes off of people. I carry trauma shears on me all the time for Mm -hmm. both medical and and cop purposes and cutting off an Olaf, the snowman t-shirt off a baby. That's, it's it it's awful yeah and it dazzled little bedazzled cute little pair of jeans her mm-hmm. legs swelling up so i i cut off the the little bedazzled cute little jeans and it's it's a diaper wearing child just because you what you had some sense of entitlement that you could do what you want to do yeah it was yeah and and not only is that that you're 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 when you go into a situation like that and I want, you know, I hope the people that listen to this understand it's not, you have so many emotions that you're dealing with. I mean, you have the pain in your heart breaking for this child that you're trying to help. And frankly, there's anger at the parent that put the child yes. in this situation that you just want to go wring their neck and you can't. And, you know, and then either later that shift, you just got to go on and, you know, write a ticket for speeding, you know, if, you know what I mean? Or the next day, you know, um, you just got to go do it all over again and, and put it behind you as if it didn't happen. Um, I know you use comedy to help you with that, but are there any other coping mechanisms that, that you have that really are helpful for you to deal with things like that? I think, uh, fitness is a big thing. You know, you get out I saw those guns, those cannons you got on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're little pea shooters now, but I'll just, Hey, you know what I'm saying? It'll get there. Yeah. I think fitness is a, is a big thing for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, people depend on you. If you work, if you're an accountant, nothing against accountants mm-hmm. is physically depending on you for anything. Sure. You know, if, if, if you're a little out of shape, a little overweight, well, guess what? You can still hit that calculator and do your job. And I'm sure you're a fine accountant, right? But if you're a firefighter, EMS cops, um, in anything where people physically depend on you or else someone could die, you must be in shape. So that's the first and most important reason why you need to stay in shape. And it's embarrassing cops that are just grossly obese for their own, for their own health and longevity, first of all, but who, who are you going to help? Who are you going to, you can't, it can't be done when you're like that. You can't even help yourself. Right. So but I think that's a good coping mechanism where, you know, for just an hour a day, an hour and a half a day, you're, you have your, your headphones in and you're focusing on what you got to do and, you know, whatever the pain was of the day, then you, you make your own pain. And that's, that's a big thing. And then, um, just having your, your road dogs, your shift dogs that you, that, you know, you go and, and talk about it and laugh about it and make inappropriate jokes and we move on about our day. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, really that's another thing that's, you know, it's, it, people are like, how can you say that? Well, it's a coping mechanism. You know, you don't, you don't mean anything by it. Um, it's sometimes, like I said, it's inappropriate, it's crass, but it's just a way to get that crap out. Um, you know, here I am, what are we, I, I was off, all together. I mean, I haven't been anything around law enforcement since 1997. What's that? 24 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that's the only regret I, I have about leaving is all of my classmates are now retiring. But 
but uh, yeah. but my wife still says, you know, that I, there's a there's a distance about me. You know, you have this you just kind of standoffish, and I don't know how much of that is just my personality, frankly, or uh, or that it, there's still those guards up because of what I had to put up that many years ago. Um, and so it takes a toll. Not only yeah, we we chose it, and we chose it for whatever reasons, but that still doesn't change the fact that it does can will change you. And not only is it you, but everybody in that house with you has to deal with it. And, yeah. you know, you can't come home if you're, if you're, um, we didn't even talk about if you're married or anything like that, but you can't come home and just dump on your spouse, you know? No. And and sometimes they ask you to and want you to, but they don't want that. <laughs> they no. really don't want that. My, my wife is, is probably the most supportive person I've ever met. She, whatever I want to do, she's like, go, go do it take care of it you know and she's she's she'll bend over backwards to where the house is clean and because i can't do i can't do clutter everything has to be where it's got to be and um when i had when i was single i had an apartment and had a barracks room everything was i was always ready for inspection you know i i everything was just right where it needed to be and that's the military in me that beat it into me for years. I mean, every, you'll, you'll die. If your socks and underwear aren't laid out this way, you will die, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but she's supportive and she takes, you know, she, she'll keep the kids off me for a while because what people, a lot of people don't know, they get into this job. You have a, what's called a circadian rhythm in mm-hmm. rhythm starts when you wake up and you're like, Oh, here we go again. And then you're fine. You brush your teeth, eat breakfast, you know, you know, hang out with the wife, whatever. And then it shoots up into, I am on duty and I, I will not, I'm not going to, you know, let my guard down and I'm going to do all my stuff. And I see all these terrible things. And then when you get home in a sense of a secure environment to you, it's not really secure. Nothing's really secure, but to you it's, it's home. So it's, it's, it's your castle, right? Mm -hmm. Rhythm plummets, but it doesn't plummet back to your starting point. It plummets down farther so well how was your day how was your day how was your day i don't want to talk about it i can't talk about it probably legally right. and then number two i don't want to talk why would i want to tell you that and number three why would i want to just depress you and me both when yeah what's what's the point of that but you're so far down and it takes maybe for different people it takes longer to get back to your starting point your baseline is you how you normally are you're at work up here but as soon as you get home it dumps and your circadian rhythm is off and it plummets. Wow. So you need to be aware of that and cognizant and your spouse needs to be cognizant of that. Because if I'm, if my baseline is here and I'm down here for whatever reason, I'm going to, I might be snappy. I might be standoffish. I might be angry and it's not your fault, but leave me alone for a little while. And it depends on the person. And eventually you'll get back to your baseline and you'll be fine. Yeah. And that's, that's good. That's good advice. Um, you know, again, you know, part of, part of the reason I, wanted to do this podcast is so that people um, just understand what it's like to be in these types of first responder positions. It's, it's not um, you know, it's not just everything you see on television because everything on television is great. They do all that stuff and they go jump through windows and save babies <laughs> and they go home and kiss the wife and have a great dinner. Um, and it's all good. And that's, that's just not the case. I mean, there is a heavy, heavy, heavy load on your shoulders. Uh, and granted most days, most of the time throughout your shift is dull. Um, but you're still at a heightened sense of, of alertness. 
And you go from zero to 250 miles an hour, just like that. And, um, you know, you always hope and pray that it doesn't get there, but you know, it can at any given time. Um, and I think that's another, you know, misconception. And I'll give you an opportunity to share some of what, what you think, but I think people feel like officers just go out looking for, Hey, what, who can I snatch up today? Yada, yada, yada. And I really believe I'm probably going to get some flack for saying this, but I tell all my friends, look, officers, police, especially if you've been on a while, they are inherently lazy. They don't want to do anything <laughs> they have to do. You're not going out. You do that for about six to 12 months. You want to go out and save the world. Then after that, you realize this is just a job. I need to, I have to go home. Now you're going to go and you're going to enforce the law and you're going to make sure people are safe, but you're not looking to go jack up everybody you come across. Cause I promise you, you could probably pull over just about every single car you're behind. If you just wait just long enough, they're going to do something to give you a reason. Oh, to pull yeah. But you're Absolutely. not looking for that. You know, you're looking for legitimate reasons and, and legitimate safety things, um, serious things to really, um, you know, to enforce. And everybody, uh, cops are just like any other people. You have some officers that they would, if they could go out and write 500 tickets a day, they would do it because that's what they like. You know, they, they like to enforce traffic rules. I hated it. I could not stand writing tickets. I did it when somebody did something really crazy right in front of me that made me look stupid if I didn't go address those people. <laughs> um, but then you have others that their big thing, for whatever reason, they want to go, they'll go crawl in a hole at two o'clock in the morning and watch a dope house for, for three hours so they can make a bus there because that's what gets them excited. Um, and you just have different things that really drive you for whatever reason, whatever personal reason. But, but the truth of the matter is it's a hassle to take people to jail. It's part of the job. You got to do it, but it's a pain in the butt. And anytime, most of the time, if people would talk with just a little bit of courtesy and a little sense, you know, and understand that if you, they, they get a citation, it is citation in lieu of arrest, meaning I can take you to jail right now, but I'm Absolutely. giving you a ticket instead and just calm down, you know, um, everybody, you know, everyone's life would be so much easier. And which leads me to, to, to the, but to my next point, you've, Taking away SWAT, those types of special tactics, things like that. Just your normal everyday patrol. You've been a patrol officer six years. How many times have you had to fire your weapon at someone? Never. Never. Another misconception. I think people think we go out all the time. You know, I never. It was rare that I had to unholster my weapon, much less fire at someone. Uh, I have been shot at. Have you ever been shot at? Oh, yeah. <laughs> have been shot at. I did try to run over the guy when, I, when he shot at me. Fortunately, I was in the car. And he was running down an alley and it was wet. Um, it had just rained. I actually rolled up on a on a um, robbery, armed robbery in in process, uh, in progress, which is another rarity. You don't usually roll up on stuff like that. Oh. And I did. And it was really weird. looking when I rolled up, it looked I just saw it looks like three guys standing on the corner. And as I got closer, I could see two of the guys had their hands up. And, and one of the guys looked really, really funny. And I wasn't sure why. Well, it turns out he had a kid's shirt over his head. That was his mask. And he had <laughs> holes cut out his eyes, and it was the little armholes on the shirt that were hanging off the side of his head. And when I rolled up, he took off running, and when he hit the alley, and he turned and kind of fired over his shoulder at me. And basically what it did was just tick me off. But So I just floored it. And I'm like, well, shoot, he's shooting at me. I'm going to hit him. Well, I, luckily for him, I spun out because it was muddy and didn't go forward quickly enough. So we caught him a couple of blocks later. But yeah, you know, most officers will never fire their weapon. Um, and, you know, there's, again, there's just this thing that, oh, they're just out here looking for who can they shoot next? And, you know, so I'm, I'm glad I didn't know the answer to that. I didn't prep you for that. So I was kind of hoping. <laughs> I mean, you statistically, 
I I know that you know there there's a lot of cops that don't even unholster their weapon a lot of times. Exactly. But we, I mean, I I think it's kind of the wild west around here. I've got a lot of teammates. You know, they get into officer involved shootings quite a bit. Um, for whatever reason, I haven't. Um, so I'm good with that. It's yeah. not. I'm I don't. I'm not looking for that. Um, but a lot of my teammates have, and and you know being on scene is, is stressful for sure. Not even close to what they're feeling, but it's not, you know, a, a, a normal business, you know, business as usual to go out and get in gunfights. It's not, that's not how it is. This isn't, you know, Iraq, Oh, three, Oh, four, Oh, five. It's, it's the United States. And right. it's not the way it are now, even, even LAPD, NYPD and all them, even those guys were more prone to getting gun fights for sure. And I'm sure there's salty officers out there that have, but your grand majority of cops nationwide really don't that much. It's rare. I mean, I knew, I know a um, couple of folks that I was, that were on the, on the force back then. And not, I know one that might've been involved in two, maybe, maybe three during the course of his time there. Um, but again, it was, you know, they were, they were justified, but it was a rarity. And I worked in probably the hottest team, um, one or two, you know, I was on what was called Fox team. So all my Chattanooga folks that'll be listening will know I'm representing Fox team, but we had Fox and echo and I guess Delta, those are the three uh, teams that were had the probably highest rates of crime back then. And it was, it was jumping back in the early nineties. So, um, you know, lots of change, lot, lot, lot has changed. I don't think that I could. I just couldn't do it now. So my hats, hats off to you. A um, couple more questions and then I'll let you go and open it up or if you have anything else you'd like to add, but what's the biggest, what do you feel like is the biggest misconception about your job? I think it's disingenuous that people try to make everything about race. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't, I don't, I guess I understand that. I, I mean, some people, racism is, is it exists, I think, um, but it's taught. No one is inherently, they just, they're born that way. Absolutely not. I, I'll, you, you can't convince me otherwise. So the, it's, it's disingenuous for either a media outlet or, or teaching your kids or teachers or professors in college or whatever to teach people that that's, that's what will make or break a case or make or break a traffic stop. It, it has no bearing on it. Right. And I, you, you and I are a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Near having a conversation. If you hated the white man so much, why would you want to talk to me? Exactly. And if I hate the black man so much, why would I want to talk to you? It right. it it irritates me to the point. I got a buddy that's from New York. From New York. Uh, yeah, he's a cop from this in in the city, and we're at the jail at the same time. Just the other day, and he brings in a guy that's calling him a racist, racist pig, and all this other stuff, right? And he says, "Let me stop you right there. All right, I'm from the I'm from the Bronx, and I hate everybody." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he just dresses the guy down and you know it's 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 humorous the way he said it but i can't it's a common misconception that i wish people would get away from your race has nothing to do with the outcome of this whatever traffic stop call for service whatever it is your attitude and your your attitude and how you cooperate with the with the investigation that's what's going to determine the out you know the outcome of the traffic stop sure so if I come and tell you, hey man, your old stop sign. You know what? I'll tell you where to put it. Okay. I didn't do that. You can't prove it. This and that. And you start, well, yes, I can prove it. You got about six different cameras on you. Our cars now, I've got two or I got three fisheye cameras in the front, 
two in the back, one in the back seat, one on me. I've got one on my person. I've Are got, you serious? Absolutely. Absolutely. Holy moly. I got one that I can turn to do an in-car interview. I, I've got cameras everywhere, man. You can't tell me that you didn't. Okay. Wow. If you think you didn't, or if you think that it's unjustified, then let's go to court. That's what it's for. Don't fight me on the street. Because fight it in court. That means to me that there's something else that I'm not seeing that's going to hurt me or you're doing something outside of the scope of just whatever I stopped you for. Sure. But if you bring race into it, it, it really, it, it just starts to really irritate me. And, I, and at first, when I was first a cop, they told me that would be a thing. I was like, yeah, man, whatever. No, it's, it's a big problem and it's a common misconception. I wish people could get away from. So what do you think we could do about that? I think that's a great, a great point. Um, and like I said, I, I saw very, 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 very few examples of it in my time. I, I, you know, I, I, there were a couple of incidences and it wasn't even towards suspects, but I just knew some things that this person that was actually riding with me had said, and I called him out on it and he was pretty embarrassed, but, um, but that was the exception. It's, it's, it's always the exception that gets all the attention, but um, you know, hopefully things like this is us having this conversation helps, but you know, what else do you think there's other things that we could do about that? Because it is, I feel like a big misconception. And I think the I think the media helps that I think because it sells. Um, and when you do have a bad apple, whether it's because of race or whatever, they're going to make sure that everybody thinks it is. I think it, I go, uh, I go back to policing is an international organization. You can't physically have an international organization that doesn't have a few bad apples in it. But we have a better track record as law enforcement than clergymen. So whether that be priests, preachers, deacons, all this, we have a better track record than them, physicians, lawyers. And But we're still on the highlight because no one likes the cops, whatever. But I, I always go back also to an interview that Morgan Freeman did. I don't know if you've seen it. And he said that he was asked, well, how do we how do we fix racism? He says, stop talking about it. I, I just recently someone played that. Yes. Yeah, stop calling me a black man. I'll stop calling you a white man. And we, I'm just. Yeah. A man. You're, yeah. Yeah. You know me as Morgan Freeman. I know as you as whatever the guy's name was, you know, and and I don't want to make it all about race. It's just it's so annoying. And it it puts so many uh, barriers and walls between us in the public when they see me arrive on scene that if if they say oh it's the cops okay all right well let's deal with that or if they say oh it's a white cop yeah cares what should that matter yeah it doesn't matter yeah it's a barrier it's already a barrier natural barrier there because of authority coming now yeah you know you didn't necessarily want them there but it adds an extra layer when there's a perceived um you're automatically racist because you look differently than them you know, and that goes on both sides, you know. Um, so that's good. Um, is there anything that you would like the world to know about your profession? Uh, there is no ticket quotas. That is not a real thing. Are you I, sure there's not in Texas? There is not. I'll tell you right now that you cannot say you better write X amount of tickets or else you're fired. Right. No, absolutely yeah. not. That's not a real thing. But if you get a citation, if you get a citation for me, you really messed up because yeah. I don't care. I'm, I'm not, I'm not the ticket guy. I don't, I make traffic stops for two reasons. Number one, safety violations. 
Okay. You blew a red light. There's people around. You went around a bus with the, with the stop. Um, You're driving without headlights. You're driving without backlights, whatever. And I think that's a safety issue. Number two, uh, interdiction. to go out and and proactively find guns, drugs, and gang members so that they're not going to break into your house and they're not going to rob you at gunpoint and they're not going to get high and crash into your your kids on their way home from school. So I see that as as the two reasons I make traffic stops. Um, And then, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not all, it's not us versus you. Yeah. It's not. I'm just a normal, just as normal as a guy as you'll ever meet. You seem like it. Yeah, you you really do seem like it. And and a lot of people don't realize that uh, most of your drug bus really comes from traffic stops. Um, you know, you find some reason, a legitimate reason to stop someone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through good police work, you realize that something's just not quite right here. Um, and, and, you know, next thing you know, you got 16 million pounds of marijuana in the back. So, um, so yeah, that, that's just part of good police work. I mean, like, again, you have to do your job. Police are going to do their job, but you said it earlier, if you just talk with a little courtesy, you know, it's, it's, you're going to get, you're probably going to get something, but the person, the suspect is much, much more in control of what they receive than they realize, you know? Absolutely. It's going to be a citation or are you going to jail? Is this thing going to escalate? The suspect is usually in control of that. Um, but uh, that this is this has been fun. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll finish this and I'll have a thousand more questions that I'd love <laughs> to answer you. But, you know, I like to leave it open for some time down the road. Maybe you'll come back on and, and after we do a few more of these and and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll 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 talk again and maybe we can save the world somehow. Let's do it. I appreciate you having me on very much. I appreciate it. You want to uh, throw out where, where people can find you? Because I know you're uh, growing this TikTok thing and Instagram. Yeah. So I'm on TikTok and Instagram, SWATDOC87. SWATDOC87. D-O-C-87. Yeah. So go check them out. I do uh, shooting videos, tutorials, low round count shooting drills. Cool. I think gear is cool. I post a lot of gear pictures and stuff like that. So, so you oh. only have, you can have one weapon. What would it be? Oh, oof. Uh, I'd say a two-two-three platform, some kind of AR platform. Really? That's the most. If I could only have one, forever. Yeah. That's what I carry around. I think a little shorty M4 uh, would be the most practical. There you go. All right. That's hard. That's hard to say. There's a lot of factors in there, and I'm gonna get a lot of flack for that. There's gonna be gun guys coming after me now. (laughs) Hey. It's what it's all about. I can't make it easy. I can't tell you to pick five. I mean, you know, that, what, what, what's, you know that, that, that's easy. So, yep, just one. Well, all right. Well, thank you so very, very much. And, uh, you know, if I can ever do anything for you, reach out. Don't come to my house because it's full of clutter, though. So that would drive you crazy. <laughs> drive me crazy. I can't do it. I can't do it. All right. Thank you so much. Good. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to 9 what We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, please email us at 911what.podcast at gmail.com. And thanks to Eric Buchanan and Associates for making this episode possible. 